Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well... Thank you, Mary and Robert and Christian, for that. Well, you may be familiar with uh, the song, uh, America, Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountains, majesty above the fruited plain. Well, a picture in, in the background here of a majestic mountain. Actually, when we were in Nebraska, we, we lived on the prairies. And, uh, you know, there was not much variation in, grand, in, in the ground. And so at some point in the summer, we would go out to Colorado to, for a vac- time of vacation. We'd go to the mountains, and uh, we would stay in Breckenridge. And we'd stay on, at this one place, and it was at about 10,600 feet, and the town of Breckenridge below us, and then uh, peaks 7, 8, 9, and 10 were before us there. And they just kind of rose from the valley, and... And it just was a sight to see. And when I think of majestic mountains, that's what I think. It's, it, it just looks so powerful and mighty. And, and then you, you look at it and you just you see in awe. Look at that. And uh, it's, it was too high for us to climb, so we would take a gondola up and, uh, and, and be able to take some of the hikes around there. But it's just amazing. And, and as grand as it was, we felt small. And yet, we felt in awe of being in such a place. Uh, this is majestic, something that is mighty and powerful. And uh, we are looking at Psalms over this last month. And, and the Psalm we're looking at today is Psalm number 8. And it begins with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And, and this picture of God's majesty and his name being majestic. It is lifted up. It is high. You look at it and you, you hear it and, and it's, just, it's just resounding and it's mighty. And that's the picture we have of our God. And if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Psalm 8 and let us read this. Psalm 8 for the director of music according to the Getith. A Psalm of David. Getith is some kind of musical term. We're not exactly sure what it means. But this psalm of David begins this way, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. One of the things that's... uh, strikes you about this particular song or this melody is that it is, it is very poetical, um, describing the awesomeness of God. And as it starts off there, though, the, the first words, it sounds like there's this repetition, and, and uh, that's one of the things that we see sometimes in, in poems and in songs, and uh, there's something about this, and we've talked about this at different points. When In the Old Testament, when you see the word Lord 
spell that is, is, is in that first part there, O Lord, with capital L-O-R-D, it's actually not the Hebrew word for Lord. It is the name Yahweh, the name of God. What he identifies himself to Moses as when, when Moses is saying, well, who shall I say is sending me? Tell him that I am who I am has sent me, has sent you. Or, and another way of interpreting that is, uh, I will be who I will be. Yahweh, this is the personal name of God. And so what it says and said is, is oh, Yahweh, our Lord. Because that second word is Lord. So one of the things that the Jews would do, the name of God was sacred and holy. And they didn't want any chance of possibly missaying it because they didn't want to violate the, 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 the law and misuse or misspeak when it talks about God. So they would instead, of, when they came up to the name Yahweh, they would say Adonai, Lord. And which is good, it's a good practice, and our English Bibles have followed that practice. And so when we come to Psalm 8, it says, O Lord, our Lord, instead of Yahweh, our Lord. But part of that gets us a little away from what he's trying to say here, because as he says in this verse, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Something about the name of God is precious and mighty and majestic. Again, the, the name that, that he identifies it as to Moses in Exodus is, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Uh, when it takes the form of Yahweh, it, it's in a third person form and, and can be translated as, He is. He is. God is the self existent one. He is does not have beginning or end. Uh, we'll go down to the seminary tomorrow and, and we'll see many of the gravestones there. And they have a, a two numbers with a dash in between. And one is the beginning date and one is the dying date of the people there. And all our lives are encompassed in the dash, right? Uh, there's a lot right in that dash. This is all who we are. Well, with God, it's all dash, <laughs> There is no beginning and there is no end to God. He is the self-existent one. And he always is. He is. And this is the name of God. He is majestic beyond all things. And and one of the things that that we come to when we come to this particular psalm, it, it is lifting up, first of all, who God is, but then also connecting us with him. C.S. Lewis has said of this, this particular hymn, he says, this short, exquisite lyric is simplicity itself and therefore at God who appointed it. Very simple, isn't it? It's basic. You understand what's going on here. As David writes this, he's considering the power and the name of God and, and who he is, but he's also reflecting on the creation. This is called a creation psalm. And it reflects on what we see in this world around us. As he moves forward, he's looking up at the skies and the heaven, the stars and the moon and the sun and all the things that are out there. And he's blown away. He looks at the vastness of it and seeing the, uh, the intricacy and all these stars that are millions and millions of miles away and yet they're giving us light and it's amazing when we look at the creation, we are filled with this sense of awe and he who created it. Again, the, uh, the power and the majestic might 
of the God who put these things. We can't see God, but we can see what he made. And as he works this through, he also talks about that which praises him. And he picks an interesting group of people to be the source of his praise. It says in the text here, in the the Nooner National Version, which I read, uh, that it is from the lips of children and infants, or it could be described as from the mouths of, of toddlers and infants. That, well, some of you have had toddlers. There's one even here. And uh, my daughter now has a toddler, and she has a, a six-month-old as well. And, and we try to have conversations with them, but they don't go very well. Because our, our two-and-a-half-year-old, Sirsha, she says a lot. And there's occasionally a word that's like, that's a word I know. But then she just keeps going. It's like, what are you saying? There's just so many things that are coming out of her mouth. And, well, children babble. And you'd love to know what's going on in their minds and their, and their thoughts as they're dealing with stuff. But what David identifies here is that the babbling of the toddler and the infant is ordained praise to our God. He's reflecting upon from what we would call the lowest in society, those who can't take care of themselves and even express themselves, give praise and strength and add to the mighty and the power of who God is. And in opposition to that, those who oppose God, those who are are his foes or those who are avengers going against his people, they will be silenced before God. For David, as he's he's putting it together and reflecting upon who God is and and his mighty and power, God makes the simple things bring powerful descriptions of life and, and God's glory. These psalms are, are terrific theology. They're not written like theology, are they? They are written in songs. They are supposed to be set to music and, and to be sung and, and to enjoyed. But in doing so, they express deep things. This is an awesome God. As David continues forward, he's looking up to the heavens and, and again, being blown away by this is God who made this. And it provokes him to ask a question. Okay, God, you made all that. <laughs> you, are, you can do anything. What is man? What is mankind that you are mindful of him? The son of man that, that you care for him. It's like, what is going on? There's not a sense that he doesn't think that God doesn't care because it's assumed. You care about people. You care about all of us. And the question is, not do you, because he does, but why would you? What are we that you would have anything to do with us? We, we think about our lives and the things that have happened in us that, and the ways that we have well sinned or rebelled against God. And as he's thinking about his own life and those who are around him, God, how, why, why, why do you do this? And, and while there's question, there's also wonder and glory. Because whatever the reason, I mean, the, the, the question goes unanswered, doesn't it? There is no answer to this. It's, it's an unanswerable question. Why does God do it? We don't know. He just does. Because as he created us, 
he was doing something special. We have echoes in here from the very first book of the Bible. When God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1, there's a description of how God puts all these things together on the seven days. And, they, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and morning the second day. And on it goes and until it, it gets to the sixth day. And, and each day he had said, this is, and he saw that it was good. But when he gets to the sixth day, this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. When God comes to the sixth day and creates people, brings about humanity, he says something entirely different than he does about the rest of the creation. He had made the plants and he had made the fish and he made the birds and the, and the animals and the sea monsters and all those things he made. But when he makes humankind, he says, let's make them in our image. Which provokes a lot of questions, doesn't it? What does that mean? What does it mean that we are created in the image of God? We don't have any description. There's no verse that says, this is what I mean by that. I, certainly it it's not physical. God is spirit and, and we have bodies and we have bodies that eventually die. And while God does come down in, in several of the stories and, and where there, he comes in the form of mankind to wrestle with Jacob and, and, and most pointedly he comes as Jesus, both man and God, in general, physically is not what he means, but there's something about us that reflects God. Something about how he has put us together. We are image bearers. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, you, you will note that one of the commandments is that you shall not make any image in my likeness. Well, why? Well, there's no point. <laughs> he's already done that. <laughs> there's nothing you can make that's going to come close to what he's already done because as we look around this room, we are filled with image bearers. We reflect what God looks like in our hearts and our characters and our lives and our connection with him. We in some way reflect for God or reflect to this world who we are. And so there's no need to make up 
anything else. And so as we stack up ourselves against the awesome God, we wonder why, but it doesn't matter because he's done this anyways. We matter to him, and he is using us, and he's entrusting us with this world he's placed us in. And as the psalm continues forward, he, it talks about the various things. Uh, uh, again, echoing what happens in, is described in Genesis chapter 1. And in Psalm it says, You have made him rule over the works of your hand. You have put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. We have been entrusted with authority in this world. Uh, sometimes described as, as ruling over and dominion over, but uh, probably the best way to think about it is that we exercise authority, that God has entrusted this world, which is his, to us. Uh, similar ways that a police officer is entrusted with, with keeping the laws, laws and representing the government and the things that they think are important. They are out there. They are not the ultimate authority, but they represent in this world the laws that are part of the community, and they exercise that authority based on the power of the government that has appointed them. So too we, as we live in this world, this world has been given to us by God, and we are entrusted to take care of it. Now, as we think through the different periods of our times and our lives, we recognize that sometimes we have failed to do that well. I remember uh, reading and pictures and, uh, of the Industrial Revolution and, and the stories in, in places like London and, and, and other cities where, where coal factories were going and, and acid rain was coming down and the air was filled with soot and dirtiness and, and someone needed to say, this is not okay. There, people are getting sick because of what's doing there. and There are ca cancer clusters and, and, and people are dying because the water is bad. And, and so the authority we've done, sometimes we fail to do well. And so we need to refocus again. How do we do this? What are we supposed to do? God has entrusted us with this world. He's given us this place. And he has put us in front there. It's a call for us to consider the things that we do whether it's our wastewater or whether it's our, our work with the other animals and other creatures that we, we, are, we share this world with, God has exercised authority. C.S. Lewis kind of wonders about a little bit of this. He, uh, uh, in the con connecting of our rulership of the world, because sometimes when we look at parts of the world, it's like mm, sometimes they seem out of control. Like the poisonous plants, we don't seem to have much rule over them, maybe just to try and eradicate them as much, or, or animals that might attack us. But, but in general, this picture that David is painting, again, reflecting from Genesis 1, is that God has put us here for a reason, that we matter enough to him that not only does he use us to reflect him, he's given us responsibility to care for his world. And part of that, too, is that we care for him and what he does in and through us. This psalm beautifully is, is bookend by that phrase at the beginning and the end. All of it starts off with, Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name 
And then it ends as well. Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name. All of this fits within an understanding of praising God. Walter Brueggemann, as he considers this, he says, you know, we can be tempted to, to, to look at one or the other and, and say, well, let's, let's, let's focus on praising God. But to praise God with, without understanding the authority we've been giving is to, to be giving just part of the picture, to maybe a let go and let God. But that's certainly not what the psalm talks about, that we have a responsibility. We have an act to play here. God has given you gifts and me gifts, and we all have a part to play in this great, huge world we've been given and so we have responsibility. But on the other hand, to, to eliminate the praise of God and, and only focus on the use of human power is also to usurp more than what has been granted to us. Because all of this fits in a context that God has made this and placed us here. And what we do with what we have, it matters. It matters exceptionally to the Lord. How do we live this life with one another? How do we care for our world and for one another? One of my favorite stories is uh, one by Sister Helen, Helen Mrosla, and it's been around for a while. You may have heard it, but she talks about a, a class that she, she taught. This is how it starts. He was in the first third grade class I, I taught at St. Mary's School in Morris, Minnesota. All 34 of my students were dear to me, but Mark Eklund was one in a million. Very neat in appearance, he had the happy-to-be-alive attitude that made his, even, even his occasional mischievousness delightful. Mark also talked incessantly. I had to remind him again and again that talking without permission was not acceptable, what impressed me so much, though, was his sincere response every time I had to correct him for his misbehaving. Thank you for correcting me, sister. I didn't know what to make of it at first, but before long, I became accustomed to hearing it many times a day. One morning, my patience was growing thin when Mark talked once too often, and I made the novice teacher's mistake. I looked at Mark and said, If you say one more word, I'm going to tape your mouth shut. It wasn't 10 seconds later that Chuck blurted out, Marcus, talk again. I hadn't asked any of the students to help me watch Mark, but since I stated the punishment in front of the class, I had to act on it. I remember the scene as if it occurred this morning. I walked to my desk very deliberately, opened the drawer, and took out a roll of masking tape. Without saying a word, I proceeded to Mark's desk, tore off two pieces of tape, and made a big X with them over his mouth. I then returned to the front of the room. As I glanced at Mark to see how he was doing, he winked at me. <laughs> that did it. I started laughing. The class cheered as I walked back to Mark's desk, removed the tape, and shrugged my shoulders. His first words were, thank you for correcting me, sister. At the end of the year, I was asked to teach junior high math. The years flew by, and before I knew it, Mark was in my classroom again. He was more handsome than ever and just as polite. Since he had to listen carefully to my instruction in the new math, he did not talk as much in ninth grade as he had in third. One Friday, things just didn't seem right. We had worked hard on, new, on a new concept all week, and I sensed that the students were growing frustrated with themselves and edgy with another. I had stopped this crankiness before it got out of hand. So I asked them to list the names of their students in the room 
on two sheets of paper, leaving a space between each name. Then I told them to think of the nicest thing they could say about each of their classmates and write it down. It took the remainder of the class period to finish the assignment, and as the students left the room, each one handed me the papers. Charlie smiled. Mark said, thank you, thank you for teaching me, sister. Have a good weekend. That Saturday, I wrote down the name of each student on a separate sheet of paper, and I listed what everyone else had said about this individual. On Monday, I gave each student his or her list. Before long, the entire class was smiling. Really? I heard whispered. I never knew that meant anything to anyone. I didn't know others liked me so much. No one ever mentioned those papers in class again. I never knew if they discussed them after class or with their parents, but it didn't matter. The exercise had accomplished its purpose. The students were happy and with themselves and, and one another again. That group of students moved on. Several years later, after I returned from vacation, my parents met me at the airport. As we were driving home, mother asked the usual questions about the trip, the weather, my experience in general. There was a slight low in the conversation. Mother gave dad a sideways glance and simply said, Dad. My father cleared his throat, as he usually did before something important. Uh, the, the Ecklins called last night, he began. Really, I said, I haven't heard from them in years. I wonder how Mark is. Dad responded quietly. Mark was killed in Vietnam, he said. The funeral is tomorrow, and his parents would like it if you could attend. To this day, I can still point to the exact spot on I-494 where Dad told me about Mark. I had never seen a serviceman in a military coffin before. Mark looked so handsome, so mature. All I could think at that moment was, Mark, I would give all the masking tape in the world if only you would talk to me. The church was packed with Mark's friends. Chuck's sister sang the battle hymn of the Republic. Why did it have to rain on the day of the funeral? It was difficult enough at the graveside. The pastor said the usual prayers and the bugler played taps. One by one, those who loved Mark took a last walk by the coffin. I was the last one. As I stood there, one of the soldiers who had acted as pallbearer came up to me. Were you Mark's math teacher, he asked. I nodded as I continued to stare at the coffin. Mark talked about you a lot, he said. After the funeral, most of Mark's former classmates headed to Chuck's farmhouse for lunch. Mark's mother and father were there, obviously waiting for me. We want to show you something, his father said, taking out a, a wallet out of his pocket. They found this on Mark when he was killed. We thought you might recognize it. Opening the billfold, he carefully removed two worn had been obviously taped, folded, and refolded many times. I knew without looking that the papers were the ones on which I had listed all the good things each of Mark's classmates had said about him. Thank you so much for doing that, Mark's mother said. As you can see, Mark treasured it. Mark's classmate gathered to, started to gather around. Charlie smiled rather sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's in the top drawer of my desk at home. Chuck's wife said, Chuck asked me to put his in our wedding album. I have mine too, Marilyn said. It, it's in my diary. Then Vicki, another classmate, reached into her pocketbook, took out her wallet, and showed her worn and frazzled list to the group. I carry this with me at all times. Vicki said without batting an eyelash, I think we all saved our lists. And that's when I finally sat down and cried. I cried for Mark and for all his friends who would never see him again. 
I, I tell that story to remind us of the power that we have, that we've been entrusted with much. As we interact with one another, as we go through this world, God has given us authority to exercise. What do we do with that? The power that can be can change lives, can impact us. And so the question for us is, what do we do with what we've been given? We all have gifts, right? A part of coming to, to, to this family of faith is that, that the Spirit moves and guides and directs us and, and orients us towards Him, but also to one another. Uh, that part of the beauty of what the church is is not a building, but it's a gathering. And it's a body with Christ as the head and us as the arms and the feet and the eyes and the ears and the kneecaps and all that. All of us have a part to play in this. And God wants to use each of us. And so what is God using you to do? How has he impacted you through others? And how do you pass that on even in your own life. This psalm talks about the majesty of God and his creation. But it talks as well as our place in this. That in all the vastness of what God has put together, he cares for us. We matter to him. And he works in and through us. And that's a joy to be lived out no matter what is going on around us and through us and those we know, God's Spirit remains using us. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, as we come this day, thank you for this song. And help us to sing it out in our lives, to remember who you are and how majestic you are, that your glory is even above the heavens, whatever that means. You are so awesome, it's, it's hard for us to take in, and yet you, we matter to you. You care for us. And all we can say is thank you. Thank you that when we rebelled and we sinned, you, you sent Jesus to tell us about your kingdom and then to be the way to return to you, to be reconciled with the God of all. And as we live this life out, we are, as our brother Paul has written, we are your workmanship or craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which you have planned for us in advance. Lord, help us to revel in this work that you've called us to, in this life that you've given, and the glories you've put before us. Guide us this day. May we see and hear what you're doing and calling us to as we interact with others. May we lift them up even as you have lifted us up. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you this day. 
Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.